Good morning to you again, and thank you very much for joining us. My name is Sam, and it's a real privilege to get to speak to you uh, this morning. It's the last in our Origins series, and I will be speaking to you this morning on the subject of hope. Last week, Paul Mann looked at the whole subject of sin and temptation. I thought he did a really good job. It'd be great if you haven't already listened to that message to kind of like go back and then listen, and then hopefully this would be a, a build-up on that. I'd also would like to just share right at the beginning that there will be opportunity to respond to this message at the end. And so prepare your hearts and come on this journey uh, with me. I'd like to start off by asking you at home or wherever you're watching a question this morning. And this is the question. Now, what do you think would solve the world's problem. So before you dash off to make yourself a cup of tea, do have a think. What do you think would solve the world's problems? Maybe money, education, advances in science and technology, maybe personal freedom, politics maybe, or possibly enacting equality. Now you all would agree with me that all of these answers actually fall short. We all long for hope in the face of the troubles that surround us. Hope is the desire for something good. And hope is a good thing. I'd like to say that again. Hope is a good thing. It gives us something to hold on to effectively. Hope is a lifeline. And so a little over a year ago when we were struck by this pandemic, it felt very much like life came to a standstill, life as we knew it changed. There was a disruption. And then over time, we would hear of, of stories here and there of a possible vaccine. Now, news of a vaccine for this virus effectively brought hope to the world. It brought hope to many. Now, this is a good example of how the promise of something can actually sustain people. And so now, because of this vaccine, suddenly people have hope again in the face of this virus. God calls his people or his children to not put their hope in his gifts, but rather to put their hope in him. And today we'll be seeking to discover from God's word how promises of hope from God sustain his people. We will find out how on the saddest day ever, like Paul shared with us last week, after the first man and woman disobeyed God, God in his kindness and mercy gave hints of hope that he wouldn't always be angry with them. He, he gives not just Adam and Eve promises to hold on to, but indeed to all of us, promises that sustain to the very end. Now, ordinarily when we use the word hope, we express some kind of uncertainty. So, I hope the weather is great today. I hope you pass your exam. I, I hope the test goes well. Now, biblical hope, however, 
doesn't only desire something good for the future, it expects it to happen. Not only expects it, biblical hope is confident that it will happen. There's a certainty that the good we expect and desire would be done. This certainty is, of course, rooted in the promises of God. So let's make a start together and go back to the very good beginning where we see that proud to obviously man and woman sinning, everything in the garden had been good. God created all things. He made man and woman. He put them in the garden. They were happy. God, God was happy. Nothing was wrong. Nothing was bad. Nobody disobeyed God. In the very good beginning, everything and everyone knew how good God was. And then comes the saddest day ever. Life becomes death, sadly. It's interesting to note that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, God had made very, very, very clear that on the day when man would eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge and good of, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, man would die. And I think that it's very important we understand what the narrator tries to tell us about man dying on the day. Because you see, in our minds, when we think death, we're thinking that a person ceases to live. Basically, they no longer breathe, and we effectively go and bury them. But the narrator helps us see that it wasn't the case with Adam. Actually, Adam lives on to, at 130, he has his son Seth, and he lives on to a ripe old age of 930. So what was the narrator implying by God saying that you will die? Well, he helps us out. He helps us see that the person continues to live. However, there's a disruption or a change. And he highlights two kinds of change for us. We see a change in place. So Adam and Eve were within the garden. When they sinned, they were now outside of the garden. Also, he highlights for us a change in situation. And so we see that before sin came in, they were in the presence of God at all times. When sin entered, they were now alienated from the presence of of God. And so when he spoke of death, it was separation from God. They were no longer one with God. And in today's verses, starting from verse 14 of Genesis chapter 3, we will discover the results of, of man's disobedience and rebellion. The fact that one act of disobedience seemed to have impacted all that God made in a significant way. It tells us that sin is damaging. Sin wrecks havoc. It brings about things that are not of God. When man sinned, it tainted everything. It brought a disruption to all the good things and all the blessings that God had set in motion. Here we find suddenly, no longer, and God looked and it was good. Or God saying to them, he blessed them and said to them to multiply, we see judgment. And so from Genesis chapter 3, we read from verse 14. We see our three significant characters, the serpent, woman, and man, and judgment that comes from God. So we read from Genesis chapter 3 and from verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, 
Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taking, for you are dust, and, and to dust you shall return. I just need to make clear that this wasn't God's original plan. So in these verses, we see what our world should not be like. It's very clear because God started by blessing what he had created. What did God say to the serpent? Well, God said to the serpent, Cares are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly, you shall go and dust you shall eat. We all know that serpents don't eat dust. I think it was God highlighting the fact that the serpent will actually face humiliation. And then he also talks about enmity between the offspring of the serpent and the woman. We'll come to that shortly. And then God also said to the woman that in giving of life and in the process of life now, it would be pain. That wasn't the original plan. This was now marred with pain. The bringing of new life is now marred by travail and hardship, disruptions in her relationship with man as well. Originally, woman was meant to be a helper for man. Suddenly, it says that you are not going to be agreeing with your husband. You know, it's, it, it will feel like a battle. It had all gone wrong. And then to the man, God says in verse 17 to 19, God says that, Listen, it is now going to be toil and sweat of the cultivation of fertile ground. And also there were disruptions in his relationship with woman. So for all these characters, we see that there's actually judgment on one key element of life and then also in a relationship. So what we really need is to hear the voice of rescue because these, these, these characters in the Bible were facing the judgment of God. And, and war betides you if you, you effectively come face to face with the wrath of God. It is not a good thing. So what we really needed to hear was the voice of rescue and the opportunity to begin life again because effectively death had been pronounced. It felt like Everything had been shredded to bits. There was no hope. Then, suddenly, we see that there's a promise 
of life again. It wasn't all bad news on this day. You see, God gave Adam and, and Eve a hint that he will not always be angry with them. So even though God was sad that they had sinned, even though God was very, very sad that they had disobeyed his word, in speaking judgment, he also gave them hints that he would not always be angry with them. And I believe that the story of the gospel starts here in Genesis chapter 3. What were the hints that God gave Adam and Eve? In verse 15 of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we read this. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, God was saying this, that through a man, the serpent who has been instrumental in the downfall of man would itself be crushed. We need to note that a head injury is more serious than a heel injury. And God was wanting us to know that the offspring of the woman was going to come on top. Basically, the offspring of the woman was going to be victorious over the serpent. It's amazing. Paul declares in Colossians 2 verse 15 about Jesus. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. I want to believe that the narrator was pointing to Jesus when he declares that, listen, the offspring of the woman will crush Satan. It was about Jesus. Hebrews chapter 2, 14 to 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus will deliver us once again from the hands of death. Jesus will deliver his people once again. That's the first hint. The second hint we discover in verse 21, and this is what it says to us. It says that God made clothes or garments of skins for Adam and Eve. It's interesting to know, earlier on when God came to find them, they had tried to make clothes for themselves, but clearly that wasn't enough. God provides something better. It is significant that God does that for Adam and Eve. It is more than they deserve. We see the grace of God. We see the compassion of God. We see the goodness of God in there. The key thing, however, is that an animal had to be killed in order to make clothes or skins of garments for Adam and Eve. The hint in there is this. One has died so that Adam and Eve may be covered. Now, in that sacrifice, is there a hint of God's way with his world that once again, new life will be given through a life laid down? Is there a hint in there that God will not always be angry, but actually in clothing Adam and Eve with skins 
of this animal, whatever that animal was, God was giving us a hint that someday one will lay down his life for others. Jesus declares, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. I believe it was a pointer to Jesus coming, dying on the cross, allowing his body to be broken, ultimately being buried, but rising again from the dead. A hint for us. New life will be given through a life laid down. Another hint we, we discover is the fact that God banishes them from the garden. Now you can sit back and think that actually that wasn't very good. That wasn't very gracious on the part of God. But you, you take note of what the Lord uh, says in, in verses 22 of Genesis chapter 3. It says, Therefore the Lord God sent them out from the garden of Eden to wet the ground from which he was taking. He drove out the man, and, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to gather way to the tree of life. It's, it's, it's interesting that in verse 22, the reason why God sends them away is so that man doesn't have access to fruit from the tree of life. Because God, I believe, did not want man to effectively live forever in his broken state. So as a way of showing his love for man, God sent man out of the garden with a view to someday bringing him back to himself. And then final hint, we discover Adam at this point, has never given his wife a name. Suddenly, in verse 20, Adam names his wife, and he names her Eve. Now, Eve means life giver. I do wonder whether Adam is able to step out in faith like this because of God's promise that I will send a man who will crush the serpent. It doesn't look good now, but there's a day coming when all things will be made new, when the life giver would once again give life to those who look to him. Is there a hint here that God will not abandon his precious creation, that even out of death, God will bring life again? Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. To finish off, true life begins in Christ Jesus. In Jesus, the judgment of God is reversed, and we can begin again. In Jesus, God and sinners are reconciled. In Jesus, death is defeated, and the power of Satan is broken. In Jesus, new life begins again. In Jesus, we are no longer banished from the presence of God. He has made a way for us to come. He's made a way for all to come into the presence of God. Also, in Jesus, God the Father comes calling again. Just like God came into the garden to call Adam. The only difference is that this time around, God doesn't say Adam in the garden. God comes and he says, Mary. God comes and he says, John. God comes and he says, Peter. 
God comes and he says, Sophia. God comes and he says, Priscilla. God comes and he says, you listening in to us this morning. God calls you by name. You don't have to be afraid like Adam and go, I was afraid and so I hid because I was naked. No, 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 no. Jesus has made a way. Jesus has paid the price. He lived the life you and I could not live. And he died the death that we deserved to die so that you and I would be able to return to the Father's presence. I believe Jesus may be speaking to some of you this morning. I'm going to be leading us into a prayer. Basically, my hope is that this morning God's been speaking to your heart and helping you see again how Jesus brings hope in the midst of the greatest challenge ever. How Jesus brings hope. How Jesus restores. How Jesus opens the door for us to come back to the Father. If you're listening or watching this morning and you, you do not know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with him, I just want to say to you, he, he loves you. You sitting and watching this morning. You sitting and drinking tea. You sitting and checking that WhatsApp message. Jesus loves you. And he wants to have a living relationship with you. I'd love for you to respond if you'd like to ask Jesus into your heart. You recognize the fact that you, you cannot on your own restore relationship with a father who loves you. But I want to say Jesus has made a way. I'd love for you to pray this prayer with me. It's going to come up on the screen. I'm just going to lead you in it, and then the band are going to come up and do a song. We will just give a bit more time for a response. But just pray this prayer with me if you have been listening and you really sense that God, through Jesus, is calling you to come and have a relationship with him. You want to say, dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you for coming to seek and to save me. I am sorry for the things I have done wrong in my life and ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died and rose from the dead. I turn from everything I have done wrong and invite you to come into my heart and life. Jesus, I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. If you have prayed this prayer this morning, well, I want to welcome you into the family of God and say to you, yes, you made the best decision ever. Again, if you're still contemplating, there will be an opportunity. The band are going to lead us in a song. I really want to say to you, open your heart to Jesus. If you made this decision today, we'd love to hear from you. Or actually, do tell somebody about it. If you'd like to get in touch, it's... Um, Hello at Kings, please do get in touch. Our stories at Kings, we really would love to hear from you. God richly bless you.